Welcome back to another edition of Author Conversations, brought to you today by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press, where I get to talk to authors of history books and ask all my nerdy history questions. Today I am speaking with author Joe Kuhai, who is the author of Baseball in Mobile, and his newest book is Hidden History of Mobile, which will be available on January 20th, 2020. Joe is a former radio broadcaster turned writer. You can listen to his short story podcast by visiting his website, joekuhai.com. And don't worry, I'm going to spell it for you. That is Joe, J-O-E-C-U-H-A-J.com. Hey, Joe, thanks for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this. And, uh, you know, I've been to Mobile a couple of times, and I really liked it. Um, I went there once with the Boy Scouts, and we got to stay overnight on the USS Alabama. So that was cool. Okay. And uh, we really, you know, really enjoyed getting to do that. That was a really neat thing to do. And uh, we got to go back, and we took a cruise out of Mobile. My wife and I did one year for Christmas, and I got to walk around the city. And one thing, you know, that made me curious about Mobile is what made it a site that was uh, tempting to settle uh, for the first settler, European settlers. And we're going to talk about those who lived in the area before Europeans arrived. But when we left out of the city, I noticed it felt like it took forever for the ship to get to the Gulf of Mexico. So what made Mobile such a yeah, tempting it, site? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't think anybody's really uh, identified that. Uh, you know, because uh, the first actual fort of Mobile, uh, Fort uh, de la Louisiane, uh, was actually uh, about 15, 20 miles above where Mobile is now. So it was really way up in the delta there, up on the river. And uh, so I guess I thought it was safe harbor. <laughs> yeah. Well, it took about, I felt like it took half the night before we got out of there. And we left about 5 o'clock. It did. It, it's a long bay. <laughs> it is. It's a pretty bay, too, if you see it during the day. It absolutely is. And lots of history all around the area, too. And we walked through, and we went by, uh, people don't know the story, the CSS Alabama. We walked by Raphael Sims's house he had after the Civil War. Uh, we went in some yep. pretty cool uh, museums we might uh, get to touch on later. But who was around that area before European settlers arrived, and what evidence of their lives may still be in the area? Well, uh, back uh, back about 1000 A.D., there was uh, uh, the Native Americans were known as the Mississippian period Indians, and uh, they built uh, Indian mounds all across the uh, the region. Uh, a, a lot of those, are, you see a lot of those more towards uh, the north part of the state in Mississippi and all. But uh, slowly they began um, expanding, moving outwards, and uh, they began building mounds right here in the, the Mobile Delta, right in the middle of absolute nowhere. Uh, and you can still see those mounds today. They actually have a canoe trail that you can paddle out to it. It's a, a national historic monument, and you can climb to the top of one of those mounds. It was kind of a uh, uh, a village situation. You had one tall mound that was 45 feet tall where the uh, the chief would live, and then smaller mounds for, you know, lesser in their uh, their governmental setup. And uh, and, and those were the first uh, uh, real mobilians. And actually, their, the tribe's name was called uh, the Mobilia, which was anglicized later to become Mobile. Oh, wow. So and, the city uh, bears those, their name. And, right. And uh, those Indians were, uh, uh, you know, it's really remarkable because they built those those mounds by hand. 
one bucket of dirt at a time. They built these 45-foot-tall mounds. And it's quite impressive. So everybody needs to just go out, paddle out there, or take one of the tour boats that goes out there and, and visit that. It's remarkable. I know, because I've you know been to some of the Indian mounds in Georgia, were on top of these mounds were there chieftain houses, were there temples, like in some of the sites in the state of Georgia, or do we know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, there were there were uh, there were you know like thatched houses on top of there, uh, but as you got down towards ground level, it was more uh, they had thatched houses down there as well, but it was a little bit more upscale <laughs> if you were on top of those mounds. Gotcha. Yeah. Well. You've had some interesting characters in your book and interesting characters that have come through Mobile throughout the years. You've had a hoax that was somewhat of on an international scale uh, or attempted to be on an international scale. Uh, you had a man who would stand trial as a traitor that was once a vice president of the United States and was one half of a famous duel, a Marx brother, and before all of that, pirates. How much of uh, Mobile's history involving famous and interesting visitors did you know before writing this book? And how hard was the research? Uh, uh, well, for uh, how much did I know? Only a little bit. You know, there. Uh, you know, it, it's vast. <laughs> you know, it's over. The actual city itself is way over three hundred years old, and uh, the stories just keep coming. Even now, after the book has been put to bed, I'm getting more and more stories, and more interesting stories. Uh, it could be volumes on this. Uh, so. Now, actually knowing the history, just a very little bit of that, just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the research itself actually was uh, pretty easy. The, uh, uh, the, we have a local history and genealogy library, part of the city, and uh, the people there were just great, pointing me in the right direction, showing me you know, uh, all the hidden files uh, to go back and look at some records from the past. So the research itself was pretty easy, but it was real fascinating work. Spent a lot of time with dead people. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, when I talk about the famous duel, of course, I'm guessing people would guess I'm talking about Aaron Burr. And it's still it. People sometimes I know there are people who think maybe he gets a bad rap, but I don't think he gets a bad enough rap because he was kind of a, a bad character. He kind of had a high opinion of himself. And even, you know, when you talk about him being arrested in Alabama, he has this whole idea of you don't know what you're doing, you don't have the authority to arrest me, but he was there representing the United States government, the person who's arrested him was there representing the United States government trying to arrest him. You know, so he still right. has this high <laughs> opinion of himself even there, with the full authority of the United well, States coming down on him. That is a, it, that's a, a it, it's kind of hard to imagine, it's kind of a story that you have to really picture how the, uh, the area was set up at that time because it was uh, under the influence of uh, Spain. It was all controlled by Spain up to the 34th parallel uh, longitude, latitude and longitude lines. Uh, uh, everything above that was part of the United States. Everything below that was part of Spain. And Mobile fell below that 34th parallel. And so for some reason, and nobody knows quite why or for sure you know, what his uh, uh, real intent was, uh, but it was believed that he was coming down to the Mobile area to try to annex Mobile, Pensacola, Florida, into its own separate country. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the United States government, their idea, their their uh, their thinking was that they wanted uh, Spain to continue to hold on to the area as long as they could until the United States could move in and take over, make them into states, the area into states. But here comes Aaron Burr down, and he wants to try to make it into a... Uh, uh, a separate country all its own. 
and uh, it's quite a unique story how uh, he actually stumbled onto a, uh, a shack uh, just north of Mobile and uh, was asking directions. And the people inside the shack realized that's Aaron Burr, <laughs> you know, yeah. the former vice president of the United States. And uh, they go get the, uh, the local sheriff and they confront Burr. And he's like, uh, you know, like you say, real arrogant, real, you know, what are you doing? You don't understand. Uh, they paddle up the river to uh, Fort Stoddard, uh, which is part of the, up above the 34th parallel in the United States. They get the uh, uh, the commander of the fort, and uh, say, "You got to come down here. Aaron Burr's here." <laughs> and so they paddle down. They meet Burr at a tavern, and uh, the following morning, they start talking to Burr, and uh, the commander realizes that this really is Aaron Burr, and he says, that, "Well, I arrest you on behalf of the United States. All this." And Burr says, uh, ah, you're young. You don't understand. <laughs> you don't know the rules. You can't do this to me. I'm just a traveler. Well, they did it anyway. They arrested him and floated him back up north and where he stood trial for treason against the United States. He was acquitted, but he was arrested here in Mobile. Yeah, and you know, and there's an interesting tie here to where I live at in Charleston because his daughter married a Charlestonian. And after all this, you know, he's, oh, Aaron Burr sins for her. And she ends up going missing at sea on her way to see him. And you know, oh, if really? all this okay. wouldn't have happened, she wouldn't have, you know, traveled to try to beat him and uh, uh, ended up missing at sea. But it's, it just shows, goes to show you. So that's Mobile's local history, but it's national history too. So that's one thing I've said on past podcasts right. is that our local history is national history and also is world history too. And it's just a you know an interesting story of how everything ties in. It, right, it's all got a connection tapestry. somehow or another. Oh yeah, and something else I didn't know until my wife and I were walking around, and this is I think one of the you know little museum things I was going to uh, wanting to bring up is, and not really a little museum, a huge story, and something that's a big part of the culture here, and everybody knows this. Uh, really, is a week long holiday, uh, so we were walking around and we saw this museum and. We wanted to go into it. It spent a lot of time there before we left on the cruise. And we went into the Mardi Gras Museum in Mobile. And we didn't realize that Mobile has the claim to fame to Mardi Gras more than New Orleans does. Would you uh, share a bit of the Mardi Gras tale with Mobile, if you could? Well, uh, the first thing, and, uh, you know, it's pretty much a a settled fight between New Orleans and Mobile. But uh, uh, the claim to fame for Mobile is that we had the first Mardi Gras celebration in the United States, right here in Mobile. Uh, there was a fellow by the name of Michael Kraft, and uh, it, it was actually on New Year's Eve when, they, when, when it first happened. Uh, him and a bunch of friends were out drinking, walking around the streets of town, and uh, they were loud and boisterous. And uh, they came to a, a hardware store. And uh, the hardware store had a bunch of cowbells and rakes on display outside of the store on the scoop. And uh, they accidentally knocked the stuff down. And so uh, Kraft and his friends, they pick up the cowbells, they pick up the rakes, and they start parading up and down the streets making noise. And someone says, hey, well, you know, what's the name of your group who's parading here? And he says, oh, we are the Cowbellion Deraken Society. And that was the first Mardi Gras society. And from there, Mardi Gras began. Uh, They had regular celebrations and parades. Uh, Many members of the uh, Calbellians went to New Orleans and helped set up their Mardi Gras there. Uh, The uh, Order of Comus was one that they helped create. And uh, the 
the thing about Mardi Gras and between New Orleans and Mobile, and I mentioned this in the book, uh, is you can't have one without the other. Uh, they are they are will forever be linked together. The traditions they just keep passing them back and forth, even to this day. Uh, mystic societies uh, where uh, you know the uh, upper class uh, would have their secret uh, parties. They'd be in masks, and uh, you couldn't get in unless you were a member of this society. Uh, the fancy balls. Uh, you know, all these traditions go back and forth between the two. So it's really interesting. It really is. And I couldn't, unless you go to the museum and you see the actual, because every year it kind of has its own theme and you see the actual, you know, gowns right. and costumes. You, it's They're very intricate. A picture doesn't do those things justice. You need to see them in person. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the, uh, the gowns. The gowns, the parties, it's all amazing. And uh, the one story, I, and we were talking a little bit about the cold. Uh, the one story in the book that I tell is they call it the most beautiful Mardi Gras ever. It was just uh, snow, ice covered the city. The lights of the uh, the town were uh, just shimmering off the snow. Uh, that, that would have been one Mardi Gras I would have liked to see. Wow, yeah. I'll pass on that one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, that would be something. I don't know. You know what? It's once in a lifetime thing. I might have done it. Now you do tri- pay tribute in the book too to Mobile and its music history. And I've heard yeah. I watched that great documentary World War One uh, that was on PBS not too long ago. And you know from there, and also I did a little bit more research because I was so interested in it. Um, heard the story of the Harlem Hellfighters band, uh, but I didn't know right. the end of the story of James Europe's uh, life. Um, which is, you know, I don't want to give it away. I want, I want people to buy your book and read about it. Um, but besides James Europe, um, who are some other famous musicians from the city that people might know about from Mobile? Well, uh, probably everybody who knows uh, Jimmy Buffett. He's the biggest oh, yeah. <laughs> from the city here. Uh, but if you go back a ways, the, it, I found it really interesting that a lot of famous Mobile uh, uh, singers and uh, musicians actually came out of the Creole community here, uh, part of a French and uh, African uh, descent. Um, there was actually a uh, firehouse that started here called the Creole Fire Department, and uh, they created a band called the Excelsior Band, and that is uh, the world-famous band that parades in Mardi Gras. Uh, it's in every Mardi Gras parade in Mobile. We go to New Orleans as well. And uh, from that group, we, we produced uh, many, many great musicians. Uh, the first female uh, black singing group uh, came from Mobile, the Pope Sisters. They were part of the Creole community. Uh, Cootie Williams, a big band trumpeter, uh, made it big with uh, Count Basie. Uh, was from Mobile as well. Uh, so there's quite a few. The list goes on and on and on. And one of the things that is close to my heart, and you wrote a whole book about it, and you also have a little bit about it in this book, uh, and that's baseball. Still America's pastime oh, to me. Yeah. We have a local team here that I I go to a lot of games with, Charleston River Dogs. Uh, just a big baseball fan. Uh, grew up watching the Atlanta Braves, going to Atlanta Braves games. Uh, heartbroken again this year, of course, with the Braves. It's just, it seems to be the story of our life now with the Braves, especially after the World Series I, in 95. I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you talked about the relationship between Mobile and Cuba. Um, tell us a little bit about Mobile's early contributions to the day of ba- days of baseball. 
Well, uh, you know, being a port city, Mobile, uh, you know, had all these sailors coming in and they would talk about baseball and in different forms. You know, it was called town ball, ground ball, different names back in the 1860s. And uh, one of our first teams was actually a college team in, uh, at a uh, local Jesuit college, Spring Hill College. And uh, that was back in 1860 that the Badgers were first playing there. And you can go out to their uh, uh their campus now and go to Stangal Field. Hmm. And it pretty much looks the same as it did back then. Uh, the same buildings are around there. Uh, but that's where uh, this fellow by the name of Emicio Gillo, he uh, went to school at uh, Spring Hill College. And when he left, uh, he had played baseball with the Badgers. And when he left, he brought the first balls and bats back to Cuba. And he organized the very first baseball team on the island and the first league. So he's credited with uh, you know, bringing the sport to Cuba. And, of course, he came via Mobile. So that's, a, that's the first biggest claim to fame we have here. Uh, but probably the biggest claim that we have is that uh, this is the birthplace of uh, five Hall of Fame baseball players. Uh, it's third on the list next to uh, behind uh, California. I'm sorry, New York and uh, Chicago. So uh, Hank Aaron tells us it's it's probably the water <laughs> that, that, that makes so many players come from Mobile. Oh, Hammer but, uh, Hank. That was Hank Aaron. Yep, Hank Aaron, uh, Ozzie Smith. A lot of people don't realize he's from Mobile. Uh, Willie McCovey, Satchel Page, and uh, Billy Williams. Wow. So, quite a list. It is quite a list. All right, so we've talked... A variety of subjects that barely scratched the surface of the Azalea City, and I want people to go out and get this book um, and go and visit Mobile. It really is a neat place to go see. Go see the USS Alabama. Uh, go see the Civil War forts there. We didn't even talk about the Civil War um, stories around the area. Um, but before we go, I want to know what is your or one of your favorite Mobile stories. Oh, oh there, there. Oh, yeah, I, I should have known this was coming. <laughs> you know, I should have known. Uh, I think, and uh, it's one that you have to read in the book, but it's the story of how Harpo Marx got his first uh, real harp uh, through Mobile. Uh, I think that's quite an interesting story right there. It is a good story. I'm not going to give a lot of away of how he did it, but it involved a little, it, was, it, it was almost like it could have been in one of their movies, the way he did it. Really, it was. It was. <laughs> it's it's uh, it, incredible. It, yeah. The, the, the one thing you can say about it, though, is that uh, he uh, became Harpo in Alabama. Uh, he really Before did. he got his harp in Mobile, uh, he was playing in uh, Gadsden, Alabama. He just came from up north, and uh, he's playing a role. And uh, when he wasn't speaking, he was doing some things, you know, some funny things in the play. And uh, when he did speak, though, a, a reporter uh, who did a review of the play said, you know, the guy is really good as long as he doesn't speak. And that, he took that to heart, and he uh, swore he would never, ever talk again in movies or in plays, and he never did. And Harpo was born. That's something else. And it's pretty cool that it was in Gadsden, Alabama, because my mom's people are from the Gadsden, Jacksonville, Piedmont area. So, oh, okay. So, you know, just yeah. like a lot of cool connections, you know, with Alabama. And, oh, yeah. You know, I have a big heart for the whole state of Alabama. Anyway, so Joe, I really do like the book. I think you can tell <laughs> I like the book. And uh, really well, looking forward to you. its launch next year. And uh, looking forward to, you know, events coming up at Page and Palette. 
and the Haunted Bookshop in Mobile, and looking forward to working with you. And thanks for talking with me today. Oh, it was great. Thank you. Thanks again to Joe, and thanks to all of you for listening. Remember, you can find Joe's books at ArcadiaPublishing.com and local Mobile Alabama bookstores and Joe's website, JoeKuhai.com, J-O-E-C-U-H-A-J.com. Of course, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with another new episode. And, of course, a special thank you for use of the theme song to our podcast by Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. You can find them on Facebook at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project.